Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. No Ryan Paganetti today. Apologies to everyone out there. I know you guys love his insight here. You're going to get more of me, but also it'll probably allow me to get into more games than than I do on a normal Tuesday wrap-up weekly show. Uh, Ryan's feeling a little ill. He'll be back with us next week. Um, But before we get into the weekly wrap-up, and like I said, I'm going to hit as many games as I can here. But I'm going to delve further into some, in particular, into some of the grading aspects for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs of this last week. But before I get into that, just quickly want to say, everyone, I hope you're enjoying all the PFF content out there, some of it for yours truly, including the rankings, including the projections that I'm putting out there for fantasy football. The props tool has been on fire, the props tool that we put together for betting. We also have Green Line Service, which gives you all of the data and betting information you could possibly need there at PFF. Go ahead and subscribe to PFF. Get in now. We're only two weeks into the season. Plenty more goodness to come. And you also get my showdown content for single game contests. And another one I'm going to hit right here is Fantrax. Now, for those who don't know about Fantrax, it is a new fantasy football platform. We're using it here at PFF. You have salaries you can put in for players, contract options, bonuses for TDs. You can generate player salaries for your league. And with promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF, you get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league, plus six grand, 6K, six large for, for everyone in your league. Go ahead, enter promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. Okay, let's get into it. And the first game I want to talk about is the Chiefs Ravens. Now, I'm not going to necessarily go in order of how the games happen, obviously, starting here on Sunday night. But I want to hit this one a decent amount because I think we all watched, right? Or at least most people listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube have watched that game. So when I talk about some of the particular plays, we'll have better context than talking about, you know, a random game that happened in the early window when there were eight other games going on at the same time. So I think the the most interesting thing, of course, um, if you're looking at our grading is... Patrick Mahomes has a very poor grade for this game. Um, I'll say poor, maybe very poor is going too far. He had a 55.3 passing grade, but when you look at advanced metrics like expect, expected points added per play, uh, he was the highest of anyone. Now, he was a little bit lower than Tarod Taylor, Ty God uh, Taylor, but you know Taylor only played 13 plays in that game, so it's kind of skewed. Uh, He only played 13 plays in the Browns game. Uh, So if you look at Mahomes, I think this is a consistent sort of thing when we're looking at our grading versus EPA. I mean, Mahomes is by far and away, if you look at since he started in the league in 2018, his first season as a starter, he is head and shoulders above anyone else when it comes to passing efficiency, according to EPA per play. Now, when it comes to grading, he's not nearly as high in his pass grading. In fact, he's not even number one over that time period. He's more like a top three, top four sort of sort of guy. So why is that, right? Why would Patrick Mahomes, and I'm a Patrick Mahomes stan, which I know is not exactly, you know, I'm not going to win an award for bravery here to say I like Patrick Mahomes. And I think that he is a great quarterback. But I think that in some ways he could even potentially be underrated. Um, and it's really about knowing how, our grading system works. Now I described some of this last week when I went over what happened with Daniel Jones 
in the Thursday night football game, why his grade was so high, despite the fact that he had negative plays like sacks that we did not hit that much. And I'm going to hit with a, with a larger theme here. And it's something you should think about when you're looking at PFF grades and passing grades. I'm going to focus on here. I know nerds for focus too much on the quarterback, but Hey, that's what we know. That's, that's what we're able to analyze. That's where we get the richest uh, and best data. Right. Um, so looking at, Mahomes and how it relates to him, the grading and the fact that he's not usually on the same level for his grading as when it comes to his his efficiency by expected points added. I think it's really helps to have an overall um, view of grading to have a one word to think about, and that is throws. So we are grading throws more than anything else. Now, are we grading sacks negatively? Sometimes, but not nearly as often or not as big of an impact as we see for something like expected points added. Are we grading scrambles positively? Sometimes, but you're not going to get as much as advantage as you would off of expected points added. Are we grading um, the like going through your progressions and finding the one guy who is the most open and then leading him in some sort of manner, which will lead to more expected points and which will lead to more efficiency. I mean, to a degree, but not much. We're not going to, we're not going to try to get inside the quarterback's head for what's happening. And are we grading differently? If a quarterback avoids the pressure, runs around a few times, throws the ball down the field and hits someone versus if they just step back in the pocket, they wait and the ball comes out of their hand and down the field. Not really that differently. It was more going to look at what sort of separation does the receiver have? What, where's the ball placement? And that's going to be how we're going to view a lot of these plays. So I think while this type of grading can, or just like I said, we're grading throws here for the most part, while that can be to the detriment of a lot of different quarterbacks or to the advantage of some different quarterbacks, I think it's especially unique in its effect on Patrick Mahomes. And that is because he not only doesn't have, you know, the greatest accuracy, if you're looking just on a throw basis, I mean, he's always been a guy who's been low on um, completion percentage over expected and things like that. So just a pure stat, but he does a lot of things with how he manipulates the defense, the choices that he's making, uh, scrambling around and, 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 and making plays in that sort of manner avoiding sacks. He does all of these strings of things that don't show up as much in the grading. So I want to talk about his grade in particular on here because what knocked it down so far? And there's a contextual things with this. So he had two uh, turnover worthy plays and one in particular, remember when I said, I've told people before, we're on a scale from negative two to positive two, very few negatives, twos or positive twos. And it, and it goes by increments of half a point. Very few, although a little bit more, negative one and a half or positive one and a half. Relatively few, negative one or positive one. Those are the turnover worthy plays and the big time throws. And then many, many more negative 0.5 or positive 0.5. And the, the majority are just zero or just graded zero. Um, so for him, for, for Mahomes on this, he got a negative 1.5 for the interception that we saw in that game. Now, if you remember correctly, the contextual stuff, which I think makes it not as bad of an interception as it appeared there, um, doesn't really factor in as much as the ugliness of the interception. You know, he was under pressure. He was getting tackled. He kind of flung the ball up in the air, up for grabs. 
and it was intercepted. Now, the contextual stuff is it was third and 12. So he's trying to make a play on third and 12 rather than just taking a sack, which would have been not as negative, but close, you know, to, to as negative. There's a difference of field position, but you would have had to punt the ball anyway. You would have been giving over the ball anyway. Or, you know, make a shorter completion, which doesn't pick up the first down, which, again, would have just gotten you field position advantage, giving the ball to the Ravens. It would not have gotten you uh, the ball back and, and gotten you an actual first down. So a negative 1.5 is really bad. And it, that's because of the ugliness of the play. But again, I don't think the context of the play uh, factors in maybe quite enough. Uh, there when at least in our heads if we're going to process that number two is yet another turnover worthy play where there was a pass down the side I think it was to uh, Daryl Williams where it was almost intercepted again wasn't intercepted uh, would have been a tough interception and it was a third and 10 so this is another situation where Mahomes is pressing but the upside there's huge upside there if he makes this completion versus if he does not and that's why he's pressing to a certain degree there Um, Zero big time throws. And I think this is maybe a little bit confusing because he hit, um, you know, Demarcus Robinson on that long touchdown play. And the context there is, you know, what he's doing before the throw when he's ducking, you know, he's moving up in the pocket, he's moving around, he's flinging it forward, doesn't get quite as much weight for us as it does the fact that Robinson was really pretty wide open and the pass did not hit him perfectly in stride right he slowed down a bit and the defender got back in the picture but just not quite enough to make the play so I think that was on the cusp of being a big time throw but it didn't get there so we didn't have any plays graded for Mahomes as being a plus one or higher but we had a negative one and a negative 1.5 and then again some plays like the Travis Kelsey touchdown where Kelsey did most of the work, right? Mahomes, the, the, the depth of target was only two yards going forward. Kelsey was the one who ran it all the way in for another 40 something yards to score the touchdown. So we did not, we didn't have a grade on that. It was a zero according to our minds. And while the throw I agree was maybe not the most impressive, although he did throw it back across his body. Um, it was someone who was open and someone who wasn't that far downfield. I think what went into the throw is a little bit more interesting and maybe underplayed as far as when you have a grading system, which just looks at throws. Um, When you look at that one particular play, and I'm going to look at here, again, it was like the biggest EPA play of the game. It was a 4.4 gain for uh, the Chiefs on that play. So the time to pressure for Mahomes is 2.2 seconds. So he was pressured relatively quickly. Right. If you look at the other pressures he faced in this game, uh, there's one at 1.7, there's one at two, but most of the pressures are going to come between two and three seconds. So 2.2 seconds, it was a fast pressure. He didn't throw the ball until 4.5 seconds. So that means he bought 2.3 seconds before getting the ball to Travis Kelsey. So there's a lot of value in that. And I think that is something that Mahomes does consistently the way he buys time and then gets rid of the ball without taking a sack. Right. Um, that isn't necessarily going to be reflected as much in a grading system, which is really grading throws more than grading the stuff that goes into the play before the throw ends up happening. So that's going to give you a bit of an explanation, some context. If you're looking into that game and you're trying to figure out, hey, what happened here with Patrick Mahomes and his 
his passing grade because Mahomes right now, you know, he's in the teens right now as far as his grading this season. Um, when I'm putting together my quarterback rankings for the year so far, which combine gradings and EPA, he's number one in EPA. He is about 20th in his grading rank. Um, big, big, big difference there for, for Mahomes between the grading and between the EPA so far this season. Um, if we're looking at that game generally, I mean, it was obviously the Clyde Edwards Hilaire fumble was monumental. This is a win probability change that we saw in that was depending upon what you're looking at 60 to 70% win probability change, just so enormous, um, on the game, including that fumble, the expected at points added per play for Kansas city was negative 0.23 per play, uh, rushing the ball only at a 44% success rate rushing the ball, but yet passing was over half a point per drop back and a 64% success rate. So a lot of times this, this trade-off between running and passing, the success rates are similar, but the EPA numbers are higher because you have the higher upside with passing, but then also, you know, you don't have as much steadiness with passing. KC is not getting anything from from running the ball here even if you strip out that fumble there was still about a zero epa and only a slightly higher success rate a 45 percent success rate so 65 percent of the time they're successful when they're throwing the ball versus 45 percent of the time yet they still decided that they were going to try to run the ball and i don't know i mean you don't want to be too critical of what you know andy reed's doing what, what some other people are doing there but i think what we saw and they they got away with it against Cleveland. The fact that they didn't go for the touchdown on fourth and two um, and things like that. They got away with the, the poor decisions that they were making there. But if we're starting to look at, you know, on a long enough timeline, they had all those close victories last season where they were pulling through. What are we going to do this season? I think they have to start pressing their advantage a little bit more than what we had seen. I mean, this was a team where last week they were extremely strong offense, despite the fact that their running offense was not that great. But yet, if you look at their their pass percentage as, as a percentile for any team so far this year, they've been around the 70th percentile for their pass percentage. They've been passing it about 65, 66% of the time. You know, you got to boost that up. I think if you're Kansas city, I understand you think, you know, what you're, what you want to accomplish there. You think you're going to be able to do that, but boosting it up a bit more, is going to give you so much of a better chance to win. And you don't have to come down in the end and have to win all these games in the last moment. If you build in a little bit more upside with what's going on at that point. Okay, so let's go through some of the other games. I'm going to start with games that people saw a lot of. And first, I think people saw a lot of the Arizona-Minnesota game, the Cardinals-Vikings. And I want to start with this because I want to talk about Kyler Murray a little bit here. He is getting MVP talk. He's third in the MVP odds right now behind Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. And... He has graded well for us so far this year. I mean, if we're going to look at our grades for the year um, for for quarterbacks, he's he's near the top. He's done he's done pretty well because he has so many big time throws. He's seventh right now, and like I said, he's got nine big time throws, 
which puts him tied with, believe it or not, Derek Carr for being number one, but with a lot fewer attempts. So if you look at the percentage of big time throws, he's number one so far this year and only two turnover-worthy plays. But those turnover-worthy plays were so huge. I mean, this was a game, of course, everyone saw that the Vikings missed the field goal. But if you think about the turnovers that he had, the one pick six that he gave up, it lost somewhere in the neighborhood of 9-10 EPA on that, on that pick six. I mean, just a tremendously huge negative there. And I feel like people are discounting that a little bit because of the fact that they're they're just looking through and not giving enough credit to the fact of what happened on the other side and the fact that Murray gave up these big negatives which kept the Vikings in the game. I mean if you look at an EPA per play numbers for the season, you know, Kyler's in the teens as opposed to being a top five sort of guy when it comes to a lot of these different grading metrics. And I think these will come together. I think they'll come together a little bit closer towards the grade than to being a mid-level quarterback. But this reminds me a little bit of what we saw with Kyler last season, where he wasn't really doing that well from a efficiency standpoint, but there was some MVP talk. And then going even further, he had that Hale Murray, you know, to DeAndre Hopkins when they won that game. That was kind of the the apex for the season as far as the Murray hype, which then traveled down after that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see something a little bit similar on that point. Uh, now, if we're going to look at what happened on the other side of the ball, uh, I mean, Kirk Cousins, who is, according to my rankings this year, looks like he's number four, actually, in my quarterback rankings, which I know no one is going to like. But I mean, the guy's been good. You know, he had a higher EPA per play in this last game than, than, than Murray did. He's made some big plays, and he's just a guy that is not going to get a ton of respect because of the fact that he's had trouble under pressure again so far this year, and they had trouble converting third downs. So that's another play where if you're looking at their third down conversion rate, that's been holding them back, and it is something that Cousins has consistently had problems with. But Cousins continues to be that guy where he doesn't do these things that makes people think he can't, you know, get you a bucket when you really need it. But he does make enough plays and enough steady plays and enough conversions to get him good efficiency numbers and put him up near the top so far this year. And we'll see how the rest of it floats out for the rest of the season. Okay, Miami Buffalo was one of the more interesting games that I wanted to see this weekend ended up being kind of a bust. Now, not only did Tua Tungalavoa uh, get injured, but Josh Allen has been low-key bad so far this year. And I don't know if people have really been paying attention. If you look at his passing grade so far this season, out of 33 quarterbacks who qualify with at least 25 dropbacks, Josh Allen is 27th right now. Okay, 27th, not good at all. And then if you want to look on an EPA basis for Allen, again, I'm going to default to looking at my my Bayesian update, which accounts for sample size in here. He has 102 plays that he's been involved with. So right near the top, the only quarterbacks who've been involved in more plays are Derek Carr and Jared Goff. So if you look at his EPA number, 18th. So again, he's, you know, in the bottom five-ish 
bottom six ish sort of range when it comes to grading. And then he's in the bottom half with EPA so far this year. Now the bills defense was amazing. Obviously they, they threw a shutout, um, but that's something to watch going forward. And we're going to see, you know, who is Josh Allen (laughs) exactly. Is he going to revert back to 2018 or 2019, Josh Allen? You know, probably not. Right. But is he going to be the MVP candidate, Josh Allen? Well, that also looks a little bit iffy at this point, but he is someone, and if you want to go back even further, right, where if you want to go back to the playoffs last year, you know, he did not play well against the Chiefs. He had a poor grade. He had a lot of turnover-worthy plays in that one, and he did not play particularly well against the Ravens either. It was just the Ravens' offense was so, so bad, and they had the pick six that went almost the entire length of the field and so on and so forth. So a really interesting game is going to be the Washington football team at the Bills, whether the Bills can get to two and one or they'll, or they'll go to one and two. I think that's going to be a huge game that I'm going to want to watch. But, you know, Josh Allen, you're on notice a little bit as far as w- what's going to go, what's going to go on there. And we'll see about the injury to Tua. Uh, Jacoby Brissett has been one of these guys who's seen as being a good backup, but just has had very, very poor efficiency for most of his career. Um, and one other thing I'll mention about this particular game is the Miami Dolphins offensive line has been as bad as advertised, even though you'd hope that having a bunch of new pieces there would get that to be better over 50% pressure rate so far this season. And, you know, two is someone who got the ball out very, very early last year. So the fact that they've been over a 50% pressure rate after facing the Patriots and the bills, which aren't the easiest defenses to face, but not the hardest defenses, I wouldn't say necessarily either from a pressure rate standpoint. Uh, is bad. And that's something that they're going to have to get cleaned up no matter who's going to be in there at quarterback. Okay. Um, Before I go on to the next game, I'm going to hit another ad here. And I want to do this one for DraftKings. Week two of the football season is in the books. And now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week three game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If the sportsbook is not Yet available in your state, DraftKings has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a shot, a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposits. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, I want to talk Carolina, New Orleans. New Orleans had the best offense in the NFL week one was the worst offense in the NFL week two. The Panthers have the best defense in the NFL. They are pressuring at an extremely high rate right now. If you look at the Carolina Panthers and you look at their their pass rush, which has been pretty excellent, 
Um, they're getting a pressure rate of 56% so far this year. And it's been consistent, right? They had 50% against the jets and then against a saints team, a saints team that has, you know, they got, they got dudes up front, although they've had to shift around that offensive line. They got dudes up front, almost 65% there. Um, so the Carolina Panthers, there you go. Your best defense in the NFL. Maybe the fact that Matt rule spent an entire draft class last year on defense. And then the number one pick here, uh, rather than getting a quarterback, um, on JC Horn, who has been, he's been okay so far this year. Um, the coverage has been, has been pretty good, uh, so far this year. So the question with the Panthers, and I think it's going to be put up or shut up time, not this week, because, uh, this week they're going to face the Texans, right? But when we go into the future for them, um, that's when it's going to start to get a little bit interesting is to say, okay, what are the Panthers going to do once we get into week four, week five? Uh, let's see, who are they facing in week four? So if we go to the Panthers for, for week four, they are going to be at the Cowboys. So that'll be a really interesting game for them, a game where their defense will be tested if we go into week five they're going to be at home against the eagles so not as tested so we're looking at a pretty good run here for the panthers this is a team that could easily be three and one uh four and one maybe even after after five weeks uh maybe even five and oh i mean who knows they have they have davis uh david mills and the and the texans right here this week so they'll probably continue and have a great chance to continue being the number one defense in the nfl um but what i want to talk about from an analytical standpoint when it comes to this game is with Matt Rule, low-key, maybe the worst decision-maker in the NFL right now when it comes to fourth downs. And it hasn't affected them that much because of the fact that they've had these dominating leads. But last week, he punted from the 33-yard line, from his opponent's 33-yard line, which was then fair caught on the 15-yard line. That's right. Uh, less you know, 18 yards of field position was gained on this, on this punt somewhat early in the game. This week, Fourth and two from the from the opponent's 43-yard line, he punted, uh, giving up a win probability of about 3%. He kicked a field goal from the two-yard line, up seven points. Now, that wasn't a huge win probability game because our model is pretty low on Sam Darnold in that offense, but that offense has been moving pretty well. So again, decided to do that. Uh, he kicked a punt at fourth and one at midfield. Now they're up 17 points. So maybe you say it doesn't really matter that much, but why not just squeeze out a little bit of that, little bit of that extra win probability, keep your offense on the field, end up doing all that stuff. Um, but on the other side, I think Sean Payne had one of the worst decisions I've seen. And that was punting on fourth and one down 17 from, you know, as 80 yards away, I'll give you that. They had a long way to go, but those are the ones that teams are really missing out on is, doing it on your side of the field when you have a short distance because you got to convert those you got to keep the ball when you're down 17 points in the second half and they didn't end up doing it um the carolina offense and i think sam darnold's getting some hype some of it's justified because he has been executing right um he hasn't been the greatest quarterback obviously this season but he has been executing if you look at sam darnold he's 13th in his passing grade here uh according to the bayesian projections Darnold is 15th in EPA. So he's kind of been mid-level in both categories. And that is a vast improvement for a quarterback who coming into the season had the lowest career projection combining EPA and uh, grading going into the season. So he has been better there. And I'll say that he's got a lot of weapons. Uh, he's been using those well, but he has had 
some questionable plays. And I think that's what he has to really limit down. I mean, in games where he doesn't really need to take any chances, he's already had a couple of turnover worthy plays. He's already had uh, an interception that he didn't need. He almost had a fumble uh, another time. I wish he did have a fumble uh, another time with a little carelessness. And he's had some plays where you're just like, eh, just make, some, make it a little bit easier on yourself, especially with that defense playing the way it is. But talk about a flip of the script from where he was on with the Jets. Now he has the best defense in the NFL, and he has Christian McCaffrey. And I want to talk about McCaffrey a little bit here. I know running backs don't matter, but he's, re- he's been ridiculous this year. Um, if you look at what he's done, he has 11 first down conversions receiving. That is second in the NFL to tied for second in the NFL. Only Travis Kelsey has more with 12 first down conversions. McCaffrey is number one amongst running backs in yards per route run, but he's top five in the NFL, right? He's top five, even when you talk about other quarterbacks, I mean, other um, receivers, wide receivers. And there are only a couple of running backs in the top 30, right? And he's, he's top five. Um, He's first in yards per target amongst running back. He's first in, uh, yards after catch per reception. He has really been that safety blanket and that conversion machine for Darnold and Darnold has been able to use him. I mean, to Darnold's credit, he's been able to use, use him pretty well and been able to, to do that so far. Um, I think as far as what this team can do going forward, it's going to be, it's going to be a question of, like I said, not this week, but the next week. Now, turning over to the Saints, Jameis Winston went from being the best quarterback to the worst, facing this, this defense where he had problems there. And I think we saw some hints of old Jameis, although it was a little bit of taking risk on a couple of those interceptions, which looked really, really bad. But they were in situations near the end of the half and down big where you kind of had to press things. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying we should blow things up over there. Um, and go go to Taysom Hill. But again, that's something to watch going forward to see what may be needed for that for that team and for that offense. Something to keep an eye on. But I think it's a little bit early at this point to think about even coming close to making a change. All right, so another game for week two, which I thought was interesting, is the 49ers and the Eagles. What's weird here is that Jalen Hurts has been rated really highly for us. And well, that in itself is not weird, but they only put up 11 points, right? So we got to figure out a way that the Eagles can put up points. He had big time throws. And I think that's why his grading has been so good for us. He had the, you know, 90 something yarder to Quez Watkins that was down the side. We also gave him a very high rating on a play that didn't count his, his touchdown, what would be touchdown throw to Jalen Rager, where Rager went out of bounds and then came back in. So that's why his grading looks so good there. And on the other side, when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, and this is why I don't think we're going to see things being turned over to Trey Lance anytime soon. A lot of people who are Lance backers, Garoppolo haters have been saying, oh my God, Jimmy Garoppolo was so awful in the first half last game. And his grading was pretty bad because he had some turnover worthy plays, but you know, his EPA has been good <laughs> this, this year. And that's the thing that's been, it's been consistent with him. So when it's been consistent like that, that he is so much better in his EPA versus his grading. If you look at his EPA number for his career Bayesian uh, projection that I have for him, his EPA is in the top 10 of any of the quarterbacks. His grading is down, I think, 17th or 18th. So there's a huge disconnect there. But when it continues over and over and over again, I don't think we just necessarily give all the credit to Kyle Shanahan because if you're going to say, oh, you know, bring in someone else and this offense will get better, theoretically, 
I can see why you'd say that if you think Jimmy Garoppolo is not playing well. But the matter of fact is, in EPA per play this season, it's been Patrick Mahomes, it's been Matthew Stafford, and then it's been Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, Garoppolo is not th- has, has been participating in a lot fewer plays than someone like Mahomes, but not that many fewer. And that's what was interesting about this particular game um, with the Eagles and the 49ers is both teams just decided, you know what? We are just going to run the ball way more than we should. And that's what ended up happening here. It was, it was pretty interesting because both teams were not bad when it came to passing the ball, right? Although there was a fumble for, from Jalen Hurts, but we did not credit him with a turnover-worthy play on that one. Um, whereas we did for, for something similar with Garoppolo. So that stalled a couple of drives. But if you look at the, the pass percentage, uh, San Francisco only passed the ball 48% of the time. Philly was only at 56% of the time. Yet when they ran the ball, their EPA per run negative for both of them, whereas their EPA per, per pass for the, for the 49ers, it was a 75th percentile type of outcome. And for the Eagles, it was 60th percent. So both of them probably could have used a little bit more in that category. And I think that with Garoppolo, like you just can't replace a guy who's playing top three in EPA. Uh, I know you might think that you put someone else in there and it gets higher, but with a rookie who had all those turnover worthy plays in the preseason and hadn't played at all last season, other than one game in college, it's going to be tough to, to make that move. Okay. Uh, Rams Colts. I don't have a huge amount to add here. I mean, the Colts are kind of in a world of pain because of the fact that they don't have uh, Carson Wentz potentially for next week with all of his ankle injuries. And like I said, Stafford is number two in EPA. So I got to tip the cap. I was a little skeptical of him so far this year. Uh, He's someone who hasn't graded particularly well or had a particularly high efficiency in particular over the years, but he's done it so far this year. And a lot of it's to Cooper Cup. I mean, I will say that next-gen stats, Cooper Cup had separation of about four and a half yards per catch. He was so dominant last week. So there is that to it. Um, And we'll have to see the sustainability going forward to them, but I'm mostly just tipping the cap here to Stafford, and and we're going to see what ends up happening going forward. Uh, Bengals, Chicago. I think for Chicago, the question is going to be, what are we doing at quarterback here? And it sounds like it's going to be, I think, Justin Fields this week because of the injury, but Matt Nagy has come out and said that they're not going to give up if not for the injury. And, you know, the reason why this makes some sort of sense is I know we saw some nice throws for Fields. We saw some drops that were in there, but he also had the pick six. He also had a fumble that he almost lost. And even if without accounting for that fumble, which uh, EPA wouldn't do, he was the worst quarterback last year and last week in EPA per play. And Andy Dalton, you know, somewhat shockingly, if you look at EPA per play last week, he was in the top seven last week. I know he played a very, played a limited game. He only had 14 plays, but he was okay against a questionable defense as opposed to having to have faced the Rams defense the week before. The Cleveland defense has been awful. It's been one of the worst defenses in the NFL, although they did face the Chiefs in week one, but still, they, they are still awful, pretty awful against a combination of Tyrod Taylor and uh, Davis Mills last week. So you think about that and you start to wonder, hey, um, 
this could be a place where someone could be successful. And so if so, if Fields may take this and never look back and they might be using this injury thing to say he didn't lose the injury, but I kind of understand why Nagy might say that. Not that I agree with it, but I kind of understand why he might say it because Fields played so poorly and almost had the fumble and had the pick six in there. It's hard to do to see things like that when you're a head coach and say, we're just going to turn it over now to the rookie after seeing that, despite what you're hearing in news reports about how great that he looks in practice. Uh, the Bengals side of it, they're really running the ball a lot more than I, than I thought they would so far this year. If you look at some of their, their numbers to start the season, what's interesting about it is from an offensive standpoint, I mean, they were under 50% pass percentage in week one. They were 63%, and that's being down pretty significantly the entire second half last week. So they're not running the ball that much. I mean, they're running the ball a lot, and they're awful at running the ball. Their EPA per um, per rush attempt, if you look at the percentile, um, the percentile type of outcome for a game outcome, it was under 30% both games. Their drop back hasn't been much better. I mean, it was under 20% last, last game, but they were over 40 something percent the first game. So the offense has been really, really bad overall. And when it comes to Burrow this season, I think I want to focus on what they're doing offensively. I thought that upping the play action percentage was really going to be super helpful for them. But if you look at what they're doing, I mean, Burrow has negative EPA so far this year. And if you look at what he's been doing as sacks, he already has negative 15 EPA in sacks versus 63 last season where he was just getting crushed uh, as far as getting sacked all the time. If you look at his sack rate, let me pull that up. Uh, his sack rate is 13.8%, worse than the, in the NFL right now. Um, if you look at how much he's holding the ball, if you go to his, his time to throw... Sorry, I'm having a little bit of difficulty finding this right now. Oh, I was going the wrong direction. Here it is. It's only 2.3 seconds. So he's getting the ball rid of, rid of the ball quickly, and he's still getting crushed. And he still has a 13.8% sack rate. And his A dot is 8.5, so it's not extremely high there either. Now, again, I mentioned the play action rate in, in neutral situations is up to 50%, where it was only 30% last year. So I think they're doing some good there. But his turnover-worthy plays are up. His big-time throws are down. Um, and he's getting sacked constantly. So lots and lots of issues there, despite some positivity that we've seen from the, uh, from the wide receiver core and then Jamar Chase there. And if we look at his pressure rate so far this season, his pressure rate is up. So that is definitely not good. I mean, it's not awful at 34%, but not, not good at all. So I think that's going to be really the question for them is how can they protect him going forward, despite the fact that they're trying to run the ball a lot, but they're just not doing it effectively and not able to do it well. And even though Joe Mixon has taken over as the main guy there. Okay. Denver and Jacksonville, Jacksonville, uh, Trevor Lawrence is near the bottom of the ranks when it comes to, he is the worst so far this season in grading and he's third worst in EPA per play. A um, lot of turnover worthy plays that haven't looked good. Um, Urban Meyer, hopefully he can get this thing turned around. I already canceled Meyer a few weeks ago, so it could be a little bit difficult there. 
Uh, Teddy, on the other hand, Teddy's still near the top. He's fifth in my quarterback rankings. He is fourth in EPA, and that's what he's been really, really good at so far. The only worrying thing there was the fact that he had such success on late downs, but that's flipped around a little bit going forward here. So I'm encouraged by the Broncos. I think the Broncos are really going to be a force here in the AFC West uh, going, going forward. Okay, so Patriots-Jets rookie quarterback battle. I think what you're hearing about this game, and you probably heard a lot, is mostly accurate. Uh, Mac Jones didn't do a whole lot. He had an average depth of target around four yards. He was not pushing the ball down the field really at all. He was not taking chances, but that was by design. There were multiple times that they showed in the game that he could have pushed the ball down the field a little bit more, but he didn't do so. Um, So I think that's a question in the opposite end of the spectrum. We have, uh, Zach Wilson. And I'm, I'm shocked that Zach Wilson was not the lowest rated quarterback this last week. Cause he threw four interceptions. What's weird is we have another one of these situations where he only had two turnover worthy plays and four interceptions. Now, again, it's one of those plays where two of the turnover worthy plays were like a hundred percent turnover worthy. They were so bad, like not even close to getting one of them was just like, it was, it was like, he was just throwing it up like a punt to the defense. Another one was just way too late. And it just fell right into the defender's arms who was trailing the, the receiver. So he had two that were like 100% turnover-worthy plays. And then his other two turnovers, one of them he tried to go behind the defender over the middle of the field who stuck out his arm and then it bounced off and went up in the air and it was, it was uh, intercepted. So, you know, that one, maybe it doesn't qualify or maybe it's not like if you're looking on a threshold of like a 60%-ish quarterback's fault is a turnover-worthy play. It was close. It was, it was close to 50%-ish. So, but it didn't hit there. And then the other one, was high and it went through Corey Davis's hands, but Davis would have had to make a hell of a catch in order to catch this thing and went through his hands and was then intercepted. So again, this was another one that was probably maybe didn't hit the threshold for turnover worthy play, but it was close. So I think Zach Wilson was even worse than his, his grading, which was the fifth worst last week. But at the same time, he continues to show the traits with his movement and being able to buy time and being able to fling the ball down the field. The problem is he's just really leaning into this. I'm not going to have, my feet set. I'm just going to fling it from all different angles and maybe be a little bit late on some of these and just hope that I have my arm strength to, to be able to do that. And we haven't seen that so far. And again, this is another offensive line where Carolina is a tough defense this year, at least to face. And then the Patriots uh, over 50% pressure rate for Zach Wilson. So that's going to be a problem, a problem, a problem going forward. Some positive signs with Elijah Moore becoming involved, Michael Carter becoming involved in fantasy. If you're looking at those guys, there's some positive signs there. Okay, Houston, Cleveland. So what's interesting about this game is that uh, Terod Taylor was killing them to start the game. He, like I said, he had the best week, uh, almost a point per play. Of course, he was doing a lot of that on, on a massive third down running touchdown conversion that he had later. And then there were a couple of fluky plays on both sides. One of them was a Donovan Peoples-Jones fumble uh, after a reception. That was a bang-bang type of play. And then there was a special teams fumble on the other side. So for Cleveland, I think, the positive sign here is that their offense has been so good. And, you know, they had ridiculous running game in their first week. It was like a 99th percentile type of uh, running game in their first week. So they, they didn't have that again, again this week. But if you look at how they ended up playing, uh, they're, they, they had a, oh, actually they had a hundredth percentile according to my numbers running EPA per play their their first week they were about 70th percentile their second week and their drop back passing was about 75th percentile the first week and about 
60th percentile in the second week. So their total, their, their total, their offense went down. It definitely went down a notch. They weren't quite as successful, but the problem this season for Baker has been, he's near the top when it comes to clean pocket passing. He's near the top when it comes to early down passing, and he's near the bottom when it comes to uh, pressured passing or late down passing. So how are they going to be able to turn that around a little bit for, for Baker? And I think, you know, there's a fluky element to it. So hopefully he can go ahead and do that and turn that around somewhat. Um, but that has been an issue for him. But his EPA per play has, has been good. It's, you know, it's in the top 10-ish sort of range. And he's been able to push the ball decently past 20 yards, which and, and make some plays there. And he's been getting the ball up pretty quickly, about 2.5 second time to throw. And he's had some drops this year. So you combine all that together and you're going to hope things are going to get are going to get better for him, but you just like to see him perform a little bit better under, uh, under pressure than what we've seen so far this, this year to give you the exact numbers on that. He's, he's losing almost a point per drop back under pressure. And then when he is from a clean pocket, he's gaining about seven tenths of a point and, um, huge differential with play action with him too. So, you know, let's see if we can, he can make some plays outside of the easy stuff that he's been doing so far, but at least the Browns came away with the victory there, which they very so much needed. Okay. Uh, Vegas and the Steelers. So Derek Carr and the Raiders are very interesting. Obviously they are two and oh Carr is a top 10 quarterback. According to my numbers, he's top five when it comes to EPA per play. He's been a guy who has done pretty well in these numbers. Uh, in his EPA numbers, he's been a top 10 ish sort of guy going back multiple years. Now it's just their, their defense has been so bad. Now, can this defense sustain? I'm not sure. I mean, they had, you know, a tough Ravens team, which they were able to do well against, but then the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger has just been having a really hard time here. Now, big Ben hasn't been maybe as bad as you'd think when you look at some of, uh, some of the numbers here, but his grading is pretty poor. I mean, he is. 30th out of 33 quarterbacks when it comes to passing grade. He just does not have the big time throws. He's only got two big time throws so far this year versus five turnover worthy plays. Despite having all those weapons on offense, they really can't run the ball. They've tried to run the ball more this year and it has been woefully inefficient for what they have done. Uh, You're just going to have to hope, hope and pray that things turn around because if you look at their run, percent uh their running success rate if you look at the percentiles on those for the two different games they were 3.2 percent is their percentile for the first game and 3.8 percent so the almost the worst possible situations that you could think of and then their drop back passing has been in the 30s so the drop back passing has been better but still nowhere near what you're really going to want to see there and they have some injuries on defense and so on so it's just going to be like how are they going to weave all of this together um whereas if you look at uh the Vegas Raiders, you know, their total success in particular in that game against Pittsburgh, they just really had a high performing offense at 85% success rate as far as their EPA per play. And that's without being able to run the ball effectively at all. Just Derek Carr was that good passing the ball and what they were able to do there. And what they did, which I appreciate is they said, you know what, we're going to crank up the, the passing rate a little bit. They passed about 76% of the time against Baltimore and then 62% of the time against the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right. So the next game that I am going to hit here is 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Falcons. I don't have a ton to say with this one, other than the fact that Tom Brady is breaking everything. Um, he is his passing grade is a 92.5, where no one else is even above 85, I think. So he's really way out in front of the competition. Zero turnover with the plays. I know he has two interceptions, but those were on a Hail Mary and a pass off of Fournette's hands in week one. And so that so like I talked about how the grading maybe doesn't fully appreciate Mahomes. Definitely appreciates Tom Brady because of the fact that he's not making the turnover-worthy plays. He's not risking anything that's going to fall into that category. And he's doing these bigger throws. But despite all that, his EPA numbers are, you know, eh, about 10th or 11th, even though he's way out in front of everyone in his grade. So that's something to pay attention to. He's thrown, they've thrown nine touchdown passes. Now they've scored, they've only scored nine touchdowns. So they have zero rushing touchdowns. So that's something that's been skewing his numbers a bit and his perception a bit there. And, you know, they face the Cowboys and they face the, uh, the Falcons in weeks one and two. So those would be my caveats for Brady's performance and what we should hope for going forward. Um, is that, well, not hope for, but we're going to see some regression probably going forward. Where does it end up averaging out versus some others? Okay, Dallas and Chargers. Again, Herbert's one of these guys, I think I'm going to put him in that category where he, and I pointed this out last week, and it's hit on again this week, is that third down success has been off the charts. His early down success has been low-ish, below average, not awful, but below average. And people are just going wild over these big plays he makes, but he's also making a lot of poor decisions and a lot of uh, turnover worthy plays. And I think that's, what's going to hold down his numbers here. Um, if you look at his grading so far this year, he is 11th in his grading. The way people are talking about him, you'd assume he would have been a top three quarterback so far this year because of these big plays that he's making. He does have five big time throws, which people probably think he deserves more than that, but he has four turnover worthy plays too. And that game I think what was, you know, somewhat troubling for the the Cowboys is that after having such a good defensive, I mean, offensive performance, passing the ball 80% of the time in week one, they went back to running it 50% of the time. I mean, they won the game, so let's not get too crazy here, but they went back to running it 50% of the time and they ran the ball well, which I think enabled them to say, you know, we're just going to turn things down as far as passing the ball. And they just didn't pass the ball particularly well that game. Um, they had a decently high success rate, but then they had a lot of negative plays, a lot of big negative plays and only had about a 20th percentile as far as their dropback EPA per play. Um, and of course, like I mentioned, their, their running game was excellent. Tony Pollard was excellent in that game. So hopefully that's something that they can lean on for their offense going forward. But I want to see more Dak too, especially because I have Dak and CD lamb and Amari Cooper on my fantasy team. Okay. Before we hit the last few games, I'm going to hit the last ad read here, and that is for Western and Southern. The Unexpected Points podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investments, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. Okay, the final games here. Tennessee-Seattle. So Ryan Tannehill was our highest-rated quarterback of the week. And again, Tannehill's a guy that our grading really, really loves. 
And one of the things that he does, he hit a 91.4 uh, pass rating. One of the things that he does in a similar vein to Daniel Jones is he takes sacks. In fact, he took a sack last week that we did not grade negatively, even though the pressure on that sack was a little bit late. Let me find the exact number here so to make sure that I have it here. Um, because it was a sack fumble. So it was the most negative play of the game for either team, yet we did not rate it as being a negative. Yeah, we rated it as a zero. The time to pressure, 2.8 seconds. I mean, that's enough time, <laughs> okay, to like to not be blindsided and sacked and fumble the ball and give it up to the to the opponent right, right by the end zone. So he, he got a little bit of a benefit of doubt on, on that one. Um, Julio Jones came through obviously for, for people there and Derek Henry, man, Derek Henry owned the nerds there because the Texas, the, the Titans were the most run heaviest team versus expectation on early downs in their first week because they were losing so much and they were still continuing to run the ball. And then they just went and did it again this week, despite the fact that they, that they were losing, um, despite the fact that they were trailing most of the game. They still only pass the ball 54% of the time, which if you look at a percentile, that's about a 25th percentile. And that's when they're losing a lot, right? Um, but, you know, th- they came through being able to, to run the ball here because they had a running EPA that was in the 80th percentile. And at a dropback EPA, though, also that was in the, the 67th percentile. So they were good on both fronts after having such a poor week one. So again, it's one of those things where poor Ryan Tannehill has a great performance. Um, one of the highest graded quarterbacks we've had over the last three years, the top five guy over the last three years, but nobody pays attention because of what Derrick Henry did and the fact that he had the long runs and the highlight plays. Uh, poor, poor Ryan Tannehill. Um, what else we got here? Kansas City, Baltimore, we already talked about, so that's out the works. And uh, Detroit, Green Bay, I mean, I don't have a lot to say about this game other than Green Bay getting back on track here. Um, again, we all saw that. If you watch the Manning broadcast, I thought that was really excellent. Although Peyton Manning kept on talking about running the ball over and over again as he gets these two high looks. Yeah, that's good to a certain degree. I hope Andy Reid was not tuning in and watching that, though, because that's what all the teams are going to be showing you for the rest of the year, and I do not want to see any more running from you. Okay, everyone, thank you for tuning in. I'm going to hit, be back at you at the end of this week to talk about a preview for the next week, uh, review of the Thursday night game. I hope you like the stuff I'm doing as far as going over the grading and explaining some of that since I have access to these play-by-play grades that a lot of you guys do not have access to. Uh, actually, nobody, I guess, on the outside has access to. So I can help explain some of the differences between that and efficiency. Ryan Paganetti will be back with me again next week. Uh, Please rate and review the pod if you'd like to. And otherwise, I'll be talking with you in a few days. Thanks so much.